0: Well, good morning, and I'm honored to have you uh, with me. My name is uh, Ken Burge. Uh, I've been in the uh, pastorate uh, for 35 years. Uh, 32 is the senior pastor. My uh, son, Kenny, is my associate pastor, and we have a third generation there, so we're assuming he'll be something down the road, but we'll wait on that one. Uh, My title is really interesting. It's Limited Saints Reclaiming Biblical Fundamentalism Through Writing, and you're still here. Okay, that's all right. Uh, You know, what I want to do is lead us in prayer, and then we're going to go ahead and take a look at the idea of what ground we need to reclaim and then how to do that. Uh, This is sort of uh, comprehensive. We'll think writing, but I think it also applies to more areas than just writing. So let me go ahead and lead us in prayer. Father, we uh, thank you for uh, today. It's a joy uh, to be here. Uh, to head the seminar. I'm looking forward to uh, the instruction. need your help as always. Your son's words are so true. Without me, you could do nothing. Uh, So I pray that the Spirit of God, uh, the Spirit of truth, would guide us into your truth today. Uh, Help each one here glean uh, from the time spent together that they can take back and use for your glory the things that we learn. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to share with you seven principles today. Uh, about writing, and I have to be frankly honest with you, I'm the last guy that ever thought would be writing. If you would have known me in middle school and high school, uh, you would kind of doubt if I could sign my name to something. So God has a very interesting uh, uh, calling for all of us. So the first uh, thing I'd like to share with you is right to gain or recover terrain. <coughs> right to gain or or recover terrain. So we're looking at how do we take the Bible and apply it to the world. And I want to take this in two parts. Number one, we got an unsaved world. So there's a big field out there, right? First John five nineteen says that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. That's a lot. So everyone with blinders on out there, 2 Corinthians four three and four says very clearly, Satan has blinded your minds. Uh, you might be surprised that even though you're writing to a Christian audience, how often that'll go across to the unsaved. And we've had this happen to us over and over and over again. For example, uh, I've written, uh, the 12th book is coming out uh, soon, but I uh, have done devotion books. There were 12 guys uh, that I had been discipling. My wife, when any good idea comes into the bird, it comes through her. Uh, she said, Ken, you need to put that into book form. And so what we did, I, I approached my publisher, and I have uh, 365 days where you read through the Bible. That's the most important part. I want to get you into Scripture. You read through the Bible, and what I do is give some exegesis on something within that. So, for instance, uh, the FIRE stands for familiarity, because, uh, I, you know, we were taught in Bible college and seminary the word observation as the first step of Bible study, but it sounded like I was always going to put on the lab coat and look at something that was cold and dead. Uh, the Latin uh, actually means family, uh, to be familiar with. So we've got to get familiar with the scripture, and then we need to interpret it. Uh, you recall uh, from Greek mythology, Hermes uh, was the messenger god. So what was he going to do? Bring the message to humans. We have to understand what God has put in this book. So that's your second step. Uh, the R goes for relationship. Uh, when you're studying a book of the Bible, you want to know how that passage fits in that entire book, but also outside of it. And then we have the E, which is very important, by the way. It's important. If you don't put it into practice what you've learned, you're nowhere, right? We all know that with Bible study. James said not to be only hearers but doers also. So, started off with the devotion book, but we're in Washington D.C. We're actually in Maryland, but we're we're right on the border there. And we have a lot of Hispanics. So uh, we uh, recently were convicted to start a foundation. So we started the Ken J. Bird Sr. Foundation. The idea with the foundation was simply to take my books and get them to English-speaking people around the globe who cannot have training because they can't afford it. Uh, we have projects I'll tell you about in the India and the Philippines and some really cool things, but locally... I'm a pastor. I'm around Christians. Most of my time is spent with other people that are born again. But you go to the bank, I go to the bank. Uh, We go eat, you eat, okay? Uh, So Maria is at IHOP. She waits on us regularly. Uh, So I said, let's try it out. So I bring her devotion book. You know, again, does she know anything about the Lord? I don't know. I'm building a relationship with Maria. So my wife and I are there. We meet our son every second week to catch up with him. And she took it, and it was the most precious thing ever. She, she, she just hugged it. She goes, I'm from Mexico. And she said, you know, uh, I just had my Bible sent to me, and I've always wanted to read the Bible. Uh, so uh, we check back with her like six weeks later. Every day she's going through this. So when we are to get gain terrain from the unsaved world, you might be surprised how God just might want to do that. And so that's, that's one realm that she'll be reaching out to. But let's be honest, there's a lot of bad doctrine out there. Uh, it seems that the, uh, the Calvinist reform movement, uh, they've permeated everything. If you're writing, it's hard to crack through. Uh, I'm just telling you, to get our materials out there, uh, it seems like we're sort of blackballed at times from that. But we have a Christian realm. And much of the New Testament, by the way, uh, deals with Christians trying to take back ground. Uh, if I can give you just a couple of illustrations... Uh, in the book of Revelation, there are seven churches in Asia Minor, Western Turkey. Where do we start in Ephesus? Uh, so you have Jesus walking through the church, evaluating each one. And I joke when we had a Hispanic congregation with an ours, i preach, and i said say, of is clipboard. You know what I learned? There's no term in Spanish for clipboard. So you ever get one of those things you translate, and everybody's like looking at you, and you're like, okay, we'll figure it out. Uh, So, if you ever do it, don't do it anymore. But that's what he's doing. He's evaluating uh, the church. He he, he comes in to look at each one. Because what does he say to all all seven churches? I know your work. So, he's evaluating them. And I want to start with the church of Ephesus as an example because we have a history of the church of Ephesus in the Bible. Because we have a book called Ephesians. Paul is under house arrest, AD 60 to 62. And uh, I'll talk more about these details later, but he is writing a letter to Ephesians. What do we learn in chapter 1 and verse 15? Paul praises them because they have a love for some, no, all the saints. In other words, they're a mature church because remember how the Lord summarized, he was asked, which is the great commandment from the law? Okay, you have, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But well, what does he add to it? Tell me. You love your neighbors yourself, Right? And when he says likewise, the little Greek term user means on the same level of. In other words, the second command is as important as the first. Because we can say we love this invisible God, but how do we demonstrate that? By what we do with people. So we start off with Ephesus, they're doing well. But now you're still looking at the Church of Ephesus, 1 Timothy, a number of years later. What's going on with those folks? Well, it seems materialism is creeping in. Because in chapter 6... Uh, Paul starts to write them and say godliness with contentment is great gain and then he corrects them for having too much emphasis upon money and so we move on maybe another decade or two 1st John, same church what does he actually write to them in 1st John two fifteen through 17 uh, love not the world neither the things that are in the world, the Greek uh, is a present imperative which means stop loving the world Stop loving these things. So what has happened? They're materialistic. Now, Jesus is evaluating that church and he says basically, if you don't repent, uh, you don't return to your first love. It doesn't say you lost your first love, but you left your first love. I think it's materialism. And Jesus said it. Did he not summarize this for us? In Matthew 6, 24, you can't have what? Two masters. You're going to hate the one and love the other. You can't serve both. You can't serve God and man in so Jesus confronts the church. You and I, through our writing, can help bring back ground by confronting bad doctrine and things that are floating on out there that need to be confronted. That's an important thing to do. So number one, write to gain or recover terrain. And I'd like to just tell you right out, write. <laughs> number two, uh, where do we go with all this? Write a vision statement. Write a vision statement. We call it a motto. Uh, Our church, very simple. Finding a lost, training a found for God's glory. Because that's who we are. Uh, In Luke 19.10, the two infinitives are important here. Jesus has come to seek and to what? Save that which was lost. Uh, Jesus knew what he was doing. He was focused and he wanted other people to be focused. Because he's the one who says to make disciples. That's the command. Of all the nations... And he is very emphatic. And then, even before he leaves, what he said, let me give you the game plan. It's Jerusalem, it's Judea, it's Samaria. So you got to know who your audience is. Who am I targeting? Now, God might change that for you over the course of time. You might start with writing on a particular area and as you gain skills in that area, God might broaden you. He was faithful a little, right? Uh, so don't be surprised if he doesn't do that. But that's... That's our church motto. Now, when I started my foundation, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Would you like to turn there? 1 Peter chapter 2. I love it these days. You can do the phone, you can do that. okay. 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'll tell you the foundation's motto and build upon this just a little bit for you about what you can do. 1 Peter chapter 2. Would someone like to read verses 4 and 5, please?
1: and coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by people, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices
0: that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Great reading. Thank you. So we have an unsaved audience that we can write to reach. We're looking at the saved audience. My foundation's motto is equipping Jesus' living stones for God's glory, for God's glory. God has just been gracious to our ministry. We're small. We, we are in a small town. We have limited parking, and we're never going to be a megachurch. We've come to accept that. But that doesn't mean we can't do outreach. And so we have connected with much of the world through our YouTube ministry, and I'll explain some of that to you later on. We actually have now two missionaries that we have gleaned because they found us, uh, our sermons, they started to watch their sermons, they had a a hankering to do ministry in their region, we've actually picked them up financially, and we have these connections, and God's just building them around around the world. Let me just mention, too, uh, what we're doing. Uh, We have ten pastors in India, and they read English, so that's good, uh, because the foundation is trying to get my books out, to English-speaking people in, in Africa, in the Philippines, and places like India. So you have these people, and, and listen to everybody, they have not had the privileges that we have with our training. Mike and I did seminary together. We sat there and suffered through Greek class. But we learned a little something, we were privileged to do that. Uh, overseas, very little training, very little Bible knowledge, very little opportunity whatsoever. So we have to help them, because we're called to make disciples where? Of all nations. And that means people who are not like us, and it's what we're called to do, and it's an important thing. So we have a connection now with Pastor David Oz. and I said, what do you need? Now, the good news is we have Amazon working in India, because if not, we have to figure out how to send books to people, which is a little challenging, but God will get you there. So we have 10 pastors, they read English, so what are we doing? We're having them watch our sermons. We have paid for them to have internet for six months. as part of what the foundation does. And as they are watching the sermons, they're reading the books, and they're, they're drilling down. And, and the beautiful thing, these pastors often will take exactly what we give them, and they go right out to their congregation. Now here we are, little people, uh, insignificant from the world's perspective, but touching people 8,000 miles away. That's pretty cool, isn't it? In the Philippines, I don't know why God's given us just such a broad open door. In the Philippines, uh, we have Filipinos in our congregation. I've, I've known them for decades. And I joke with them all the time. I say, Mark, M A R C, I know more Filipinos from the Philippines than you do. I really do. Uh, I send out a free devotion system. There's people that can't afford them. So I have groups that I send things out to. And our missionaries that we have picked up through our outreach, Fell and Shally, uh, called by um, fell has been asked, this is, this is crazy, to work with law enforcement to give them character training, Bible. Now, you try that here. Okay, try that here. You know, they have things, we have people in the Philippines taking our materials into the public school system. Uh, try that here, and it just doesn't work out. Uh, so, we have 40 law enforcement personnel that we have bought books for. We've just sent out a great big box to them. Uh, so as Fell's giving them training, he's going to have them work through a daily devotion that's new for most of them. And then he is going to give them other books. I think we sent out, I think it was the Attributes of God on Fire, uh, the 14 communicable attributes of God, those attributes that uh, belong to God, that he shares with us, like love and long-suffering. And... Um, Prices, where? How far are they from us? They're 8,000 miles away. So your model will help you to kind of know who you're focused on. And you need to have that. That'll help you. God might broaden that again, uh, but that'll, that'll help. Now, point number three, write from a broken spirit. Uh, some of you are younger, you haven't had a chance to uh, endure too much in ministry yet. But well, you hang around long enough, and my pastor friends, I always want to just go give a hug to, because my only question for them is, how many times have you been shivved in the ministry? In other words, how many times has someone stuck you in the back that you have reached out to, as Jesus did? Uh, we have Psalm 41.9, where it says, uh, the prediction fulfilled, that Jesus would be betrayed by what? A familiar friend. Somebody broke bread with. Uh, we, we know that. So there are two ways, I think, brokenness... Uh, Comes The first way we like, we get under God's word. I like that part. Uh, you think of the Ten Commandments, where is Moses? He is on a mountain. Remember, we have the thunder. What are the people saying? Oh, Moses, you go talk to God, we're fine. But they're, they're humbled by the presence of God. And if you transition to the New Testament, the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7, through 7, where do we find Jesus? He's on a mountain. And what is he doing? He's elevating God's word. And how do we all begin this? You know, the first, beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the word there, when it talks about poor, it's patokos. It means those that are dirt poor. Those that just do not have any money. But when we understand God's word is lifted up, come on, let's be honest, we're like... Isaiah, who sees the glory of the Lord, and we're going, how could the Lord ever use me? You know how filthy I am? (laughs) But that's what happens. But that's the kind of person God uses. Uh, Bob Provost, uh, head of SGA, at least he was in the past. I had a dinner with him years ago, and he took out Isaiah 66. He says, let me tell you the kind of pastors we look for in Russia. And he talked about those that are broken and are contrite. Uh, in spirit. And the word contrite is used of Mephibosheth, remember uh, the son of Jonathan that was lame and meant to be smashed because his nurse dropped him. Uh, God wants humble servants. He doesn't need anybody arrogant in the ministry because he resists the proud. That's really what it means. But he gives grace to the humble. So I think this whole concept of a broken spirit. So that's one way we do it. But then there's a second way. I, I went back and this is a Taking it back some time, but it was uh, 2004. I wrote an article for The Voice magazine. 2004. Uh, <laughs> I had to pull it out. It's, it's, it's uh, yellowing a little bit there. No pain, no gain. And I basically, from my ministerial experience, having been in the ministry for 12 years and having had some attacks that were just not, not of God, obviously from the wicked one and going through certain things, it, it, it just was pretty devastating to me. But, you know, it's so interesting that even through all of this, guess what God did in my brokenness? He called my son to ministry. And I looked at him. and I said, you sure you want to do this? You, you know, you sure you want to experience what I've experienced uh, just after a decade of ministry? And you might go, well, why is that significant? Well, we're a team. Kenny's been with me for 10 years. Uh, I'm sort of the left brain of the pastoral staff. I like language. I like logic, and he's, he likes those things too, but he's right brain. Uh, I'll take you back to 2011. And someone in the congregation said, Pastor, we need to put the sermons on YouTube. And I go, ah, they're not that good. I don't, I don't know about this. And uh, so then Kenny comes along and says, Dad, we've got to do this. And I'm going, okay, I'm starting to hear this is something we need to do. But it's going to cost us $10,000 back in a day. You we know, We're a small group of people. And I'll never forget it. Somebody came up almost immediately and said, here's a 1000 for the project. Here's a 1000 so Somebody came up and gave me a check. He never thought the people would have $6,000. Uh, here we are, and my son has a two-year degree in web technology, so he gets all of that computer side of it. Uh, so he videos all of our uh, sermons, and we now have over a half million sermons viewed. And you go, how do I get you know information out about my writing? At the end of each sermon, uh, we... Advertise my books. Doesn't cost us anything. I, you know, that's pretty cool. Uh, from two guys in a small church you are ministering to 100 people each Sunday to have reached now over a half a million people. And we're just beginning. We think we'll have over 3,000 subscribers by the end of even this year alone. But it's, it's the kind of thing that God does, but he works through brokenness. So here's your challenge. When someone hurts you, don't waste your time looking at the person. You can put all your attention there. And then, you know, all you get is one thing. It's called bitterness. Uh, God's grace is made available to you. So when you take the hit, it's kind of like Stephen in Acts 7. And he's going to be stoned. And what's he praying? Father, forgive them. (laughs) Right? Does that sound familiar to you? Do you call that grace? I call that grace. To be able to endure the situation. You look at what God's doing with you. A year later, uh, I wrote another article. It was called The Need... Uh, for loyal servants in diverse communities. That was in November, December of 2005. Uh, I had gone through a bad situation. We had lost a lot of people in the church. I'd been misrepresented, but all because there was someone I trained for 10 years that I found out later on was trying to take over the church. Fun, fun. Uh, so it was. It was a painful time. My community was changing back then. I mean, it was. It was changing dramatically. So, how is God going to reach our now African-American and Hispanic region? Okay, I'll tell you how he did it. I led the mayor of the town to Jesus, African-American lady. She and her husband both, they were coming to my study for a Bible study. So, someone comes knocking on my door, it's about 7 o'clock Wednesday night, a pastor, the mayor needs you. Walk out our door, and we're about a half mile away from D.C., so we're these things come and go. And we, I looked across the street on this side of the street was a group of people and on the other side of the street was a group of people and two hostile parties. So what did I do? naturally I went back in my study and prayed. Now I, I walked right in the middle of the street because there was my mayor. She was mediating the two gangs, mediating it. And this went on for over two hours. Uh, see some of these hairs up here this little you know, okay Two hours. And, and you know why it took them so long to come? Uh, Rumor had it that MS-13 was going to stage a fight. When the police would come, what would MS-13 do? Turn on police officers. So they just didn't show up for two hours. Thank you so much. You're here to serve and protect, and we're just in the middle of this. And I'm telling you, if we would have padded people down, we could have supplied Pittsburgh with a lot of steel uh, because it 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 was rough. Thank God that night... Finally, everybody dispersed. One went into the nuisance home that was across the street from the church. The lady, the mother, came out to me because basically a lot of women too. She said, nobody's ever driving us out of our home. Well, after we got done, I talked to the uh, chief of police. He called he says, you're so calm. You're so calm. Uh, And uh, so the mayor and I went into the study and we knelt down and I just prayed, Lord, if you will either save these people or move them out. Well, I guess they weren't going to repent because that night somebody came by and just shot up their home and they left. But, tell you all that, because the white guy stood with the black mayor, then you know what started happening to the church? All these people started coming in. And we've had black, I, I, I look like the minority now, which is a good thing, okay, in our church because of just that one thing. But where did it all come from? A painful experience. A painful experience. And a lot of things in life, everybody, I'm telling you, if you're going to write, you're going to find out it's going to come from a painful experience. Now, when I wrote the article, I heard from my dear brother, and Earl's with us. I didn't even know I had an email from 2005. And by the way, it only takes me 15 to 25 years to respond to your email, so you know, be patient with me if you write to me. So this was 2005. And this was from Earl. I appreciate your article, The Need for Loyal Servants in Diverse Communities. Uh, he's going, I don't remember these things, so I, this, you know, because he does a lot of ministry. I have been concerned for several years that we are involved in IFCA Church Extension are taking the less strenuous course of planning churches in new housing developments, towns, and rural communities to neglect of our cities. But I have not come up with a way to solve that deficiency. You know, in other words, how do we get into the cities? We're kind of in the rural sections. Uh, The church extension agency I now direct has been under the direction of Dr. Rory Sprague, one of the most active in the IFCA for many years. In our nearly 50 years of ministry, we have planted scores of churches. I love church planters. Anything I can do to support church planters, I'm in. Uh, They're my heart, because I feel like we're kind of doing the same thing. And we're in a diverse area, and the thing's a little different, but uh, uh, same heart. And And as we're doing this, our fundamental churches, we're moving out of the cities. We have not filled the void. I see this as a tragedy that grows worse every day as the population of our cities increase. And basically, Earl goes on to say, help us. What do we do here? And uh, you know we're in the doorstep of Washington D.C. So for decades, for decades, I prayed for the nation's capital, looking for opportunities uh, to serve. And I want to tell you one other story, and it leads you into what we've been able to do now in the nation's capital. Uh, I, I joke with my family; I wasn't always saved. And uh, so I was probably 15. A group of us were hanging out, doing nothing good, only getting in trouble. And there was another group that came upon our path who lived on the other side of the highway. And all you needed was a division of East West Highway, and it was them and us. And when, when they made eye contact, it was, we all started running. And I, I, we both now, my wife and I, are on the same street we grew up so it's, it's pretty cool. I, I pointed out who the former drug dealers were when we moved in. It was just, you know, it's an interesting day for the children coming up. And uh, so they're running after us. And we're all, you know, healthy, young, and we're running fast. And, and our leader, at one point, he just stops. And I'll never forget these words. He says, what are we running from? So He stopped. And then they caught up to us, and my friend grabbed, and he went into the Army Rangers, you know, those guys who'd like to jump out of planes. So Rick was a pretty good guy to be around, you know, and his brother did the same. We were pretty safe. And so he grabbed this guy's uh, jacket, and the other guy grabbed him, and they looked at each other, and they went on. But, you know, here's the question. What are we running from? You know, when my community started to change, I'll give you a quick illustration of how it changed. Dad used to take us to barber school, about two miles away from the church. Barber school was defined by someone, a friend of mine said, that's the place your old man takes you for a haircut, but he goes somewhere else. <laughs> that was the definition of barber school. And it was, you know, I thought back on, I thought, you know, dad never did get his haircut there. Yeah. And I always wondered, you know, when a guy comes up, who's training, cutting kind of your hair, and he kind of looks at you, and he just, you know, the, the guy, you know, you get one of those, you know you're in trouble. You wear a hat for two weeks. Uh, if I walked into that place right now, they wouldn't know what to do with my head, okay. Because it's not the color head that didn't normally cut. My point is, you know, the blacks and the Hispanics started coming in. And the question I'd ask myself, am I willing to stay here and not run? Because we're called to reach these people. And God started to bring in the black community, the Hispanic community. Uh, we have an Asian community, Filipinos and Indians. And it's the most beautiful thing. But about five years ago, there was a church in northeast D.C., Bethesda Baptist Church, and they were struggling. And some of their people started coming to my Bible study. And you know what they called it? And this was precious because when I go and I preach at Bethesda Baptist, I'm the only guy that's tall, light, and handsome. That's my code talk from i the only white guy on the premises. Um, they called it the Underground Railroad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about that for a twist? So they would make their way and we started to train some of their people. And eventually Mike Thompson came to the Bible study a delightful uh, African-American man. Uh, had a love for the Lord. He had been in his church forever. And he said, uh, Pastor, God's called me to ministry. Would you and your son train me for ministry? Now, you got to get this in your minds. This just doesn't happen. You don't traditionally have black eyes coming to white people and saying, will you train us? And we were honored to do so. I set up a plan. We worked with Mike. We did the ordination uh, council over at his church so his people could see And uh, he he passed with flying colors. Actually, he's graduating from Dallas, and he's permitted to do his internship under us. And when I'm gone these two weeks, guess who's going to fill the pulpit for me? His church gave permission to come over and teach. And it's the greatest thing ever. Uh, So my point is from a broken spirit, you never know how long it might take, but you keep praying, but you need to be faithful where God plants you. I'm suited to this. Uh, this is my call. This is my understanding. I would never fit in this large church, in a mega church, with a lot of administration. I fit perfectly where I'm at. I know that. Uh, most likely this is where I'll die or I'm praying that the Lord comes first, of course. But you get the idea. So you have to be faithful where God plants you because he will use you, he will teach you because he, God is just not interested in you all becoming writers and getting your name in print. He's not interested in that. He's interested in your character. You know, you take a passage like Mark 4, Jesus had instructed his disciples all day. But guess what? Now we're going to get in a boat. And we've got to go somewhere because um, across the waterway are these two nude guys who are at the tombs cutting themselves up all day. And that's our destination. How's that for ministry? And so Jesus is sawing logs in the, in the boat. As this hellish storm, and I I, I think hellish is right because it's interesting in the Greek. When Jesus calms uh, the sea and all, he says, be muzzled. Same term that he uses to cast out the demons in other places, basically telling them to shut up. So, you know, Satan is probably at work behind all of this. But why does he test the disciples? Because he wants your character uh, to match, you know, the skill set that you have. Because he doesn't want shallow Christians. So God is always much more interested in your character and becoming strong Christians who have a a faith in their God that he's your all in all. And you're not going to be afraid of anything. And and, and listen to me, you don't need to be afraid of anything. You know, if God is for you, who can be against you? And if he stations you somewhere, you just have to be loyal to where he calls you to be. So I, I hope that just sort of helps you with this whole idea of writing from a broken spirit. It's not a bad thing. And the fourth thing I'd like to share with you is right based upon God-imposed limitations. Right based upon God-imposed limitations. I'll give you two examples. You have the Apostle Paul. What was Paul's mission? In Romans 15, verse 20, he says, I want to go and preach the gospel where Christ isn't known. So what does God do? He slaps handcuffs on him. <laughs> Hey, that could be pretty depressing. If you're called to go places, you know, that no one's ever brought the gospel, and here you are for two years, 24-7, chained chained to a Roman soldier. That was Paul's life. But I, I stop and think about this. So he's limited. He's limited. God does the greatest things because a lot of times he expand your ministry through limitation. Oh, Paul, by the way, while you're here, uh, I, I'd like you to write that book called Ephesians. Uh, how about Philippians? Colossians, Philemon, have you, anybody got any mileage out of those books over the last number of years? That's not bad for a guy who's had, what? Limitations imposed on him. That's. This is how God, he, God does not work our way. Uh, when you think you figure out how it's going to get done, you, you might know what he's going to do, but I guarantee you have no idea how he's going to do it. And then you have John, the Apostle. Remember the, one of the sons of uh, thunder, Boanerges? <clears throat> you know, to go through Samaria and the Samaritans and repent. Hey, can we call down fire on these guys? That's the evangelistic spirit right there, okay? And God tamed them. They were very young men when they began all of that. And Jesus just patiently worked with them. And then what did John get called later on? He's the apostle in love. So there's a little bit of change in this. But now he's old. He's probably in his 80s. <sighs> You know, I've written on 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation, and John just has just, just such a heart. He has just such a heart. And But what does God do? He's in his 80s, and he gets sent, it's almost like uh, to the rock, to do hard labor as in his 80s. But he's going to give a privilege. What's his privilege? He's going to write the book of Revelation. Can you think anything greater than that? Can you imagine that the Almighty has chosen you To write the apocalypsis, the unveiling, the book that kind of ties together the rest of the Bible. It's an amazing thing. And one of the interesting things is as you work through the book, like for in chapter 1, verse 19, you find a command there, write. Write the things that you've seen. That was chapter 1, the resurrected and glorified Christ, because John had a vision of that. Write the things which are, speaking about the seven local churches contemporaneous to John. And then he says, and write the things that will take place after this, metatauta. Now, a little plug for my Revelation books. you got to know when metatauta, after this, is used with or without a verb of perception. Because when it's used without the verb of perception, it's showing that the book is moving on chronologically. When it is used as a verb of perception, there's just another vision given. Uh, I just want to serve people. I'm just telling you my heart. You know, I want to help pastors. I've, I've had 45 years of exegesis I, you know, I work through these things, and I, and I go through books, so when I wrote my two-volume set, it, it's just to serve people, but here's John, and he's limited, and he has the greatest privilege ever. So, of course, when you go through a catastrophe, there are people that are going to misrepresent you. Paul dealt with it all the time. Peter dealt with it. I dealt with it. Uh, so I was teaching at the uh, local Bible college, and uh, just loved my students, you know, when we had some troubles in the church. So I, I taught... Eschatology. I taught Revelation, Soteriology, and just had a great rapport with the students. And I loved it. Well, you know, one of the individuals that caused the trouble in the church wasn't uh, pleased enough that, you know, a lot of our members had left. So then where does he go? He goes over and he starts talking to the, the staff. You, you know how it works. And yeah, whenever you see somebody trying to destroy someone, guess what? That ain't a God. But sure enough, there was the person in charge of me. And uh, I'll just tell you, you know, uh, theologically, he wasn't in our camp. He really probably should never have been there. And uh, many of the students who were in his classes started withdrawing, coming to my classes. They just liked my teaching. Well, praise the Lord for that. So he saw an opportunity and says, you know, Ken, I know your church has had some bad times. I think you need a break. Thank you so much. You know, so you're taking away, you know, my opportunity to minister, but I got limited. So when God said, write, right. <laughs> if instead of looking at the people who hurt you, you just get about doing what God calls you to do, you'd be amazed what you can accomplish. And I started to write, and I'll tell you some of the things that, I, that I've written to give you an idea of what God might, might want to do. So that's our fifth point I'm leading to now. Ready? Write based upon God's governance. You need to write based upon God's governance. I'm just telling you, it's too much work. I'm not just writing to get my name in print, unless I'm going to help somebody out. But you want God to guide you with exactly what he wants you to write, because he's the only one. So I had started my doctoral program at Dallas Seminary when all these things happened at the church, and God actually just provided uh, the whole time, which was just an extraordinary thing. So it was time to figure out what I was going to do with my dissertation. So I, I went to John Reed. John was my advisor. John was maybe 80. You ever meet people like, you know that they and God are like this? Uh, that was John. And that's who God put me under. So he says, Ken, what do you want to do for your dissertation? And I said, well, maybe something, you know, I've been doing uh, premarital, postmarital counseling for 20 years. And you know what he said to me? Seriously, he looked at you're not qualified to do that. So for anyone I've done your pre or counseling or post-marital, I apologize in advance, okay? Uh, so he knew me, and he said, we've got to do something on preaching. And sure enough, I took his advice because I sensed this was of God. And in my um, dissertation was called, one of his fancy titles, Developments and Evaluation of a Sermon Preparation and Delivery Class for Laymen. It was the greatest thing ever because... I was going to take a group of men who had never been to Bible college or seminary and train them to preach. If you can train them, you can basically train about anyone. So that's, this was the path God was taking me down to. As a result of that, in 2013 uh, came my first book, Preaching. Uh, with FIRE's ETA, it was self-published, and self-publishing basically means that you're you know, you're fronting all the monies yourself, and it's not an outside publication that has solicited you to do this, you initiate it, and that was cool, that was fine with me. Uh, by the way, I gave you the FIRE acronym, uh, Familiarity, Interpretation, Relationship, and Employment, and the ETA stood for Exegetical, Theological, and Application Points because you know for pastors they kind of got to get to that place where they're just telling you exactly what to do based upon the text. So I, I wrote that book and then from that I reached out to Michael Dudeweiss. I was getting Preaching Magazine and I, I wrote to Michael. I, I sent him some articles and sure enough, here's this nobody and now he has three published articles in the magazine that's read by preachers all around the world. A total of eight articles now, so if you go to uh, either the publication or the website, I have eight of them done there. Uh, You know, this all came because God has just guided me where I need to be. I spent ten years studying on preaching. I thought this was going to be my life. I was going to be a homiletician. Fancy word for teaching people to preach. And uh, God gave me a a shift, and I started doing commentaries. Uh, So my Ephesians book, because there was an outside publisher who saw what I was doing, said, hey, we want you. I'm a very small publisher from Oregon, and so I started working through commentaries, and that's uh, when you start to see my my fire series, you know, I've been working through different books of the Bible, and basically it's to help people, because most people haven't had my training. So I get them familiar with the passage, I show them how to interpret it, and I walk them through this process so they can get it. You know, it's not about me just knowing, saying, oh, here, you need me, because only I know this. No, it's I'm going to teach you how to do this. And I, and I walk them through the process. So that, that's been what I've been all about. So, you know, write based upon God's governance. He might have you do one thing here. He might build upon that. But you just be faithful and let him take care of the rest. Okay? So let me now transition to our sixth uh, point. Write when your world is turned upside down. This is really an important point. Write when your world is turned upside down. I have three periods in my life when I went back and looked over the 35 years of pastoral ministry that God produced some of the greatest things through when I suffered the most. Isn't that the nature of God? You know, you think of Philippians 3.10 that I might know Him. So that's to know Him experientially and the power of his resurrection. I've got to be honest with you, I've experienced God's power. You know, we are working now to get my attributes book uh, translated into Spanish. We needed $1,500 and the money wasn't there. We have the foundation. I told my wife, it's coming. So sure enough, somebody comes up and I, I kid you not, they go, here's $1,000. Someone else came up, so I'll give, and you know what the next check was? $500. So I, I know something about the power of God and his ability to do. But I also need to be conformed to what? The fellowship of his, and his plural, sufferings i got to identify with Christ. The only way you're ever going to identify with Christ is if you suffer. And, and that's such an important concept. So there I was in 2003 with an Absalom situation. You know, someone had come that I trained 10 years, everybody. You know how long 10 years is to train someone? Only to find out that as I was teaching over at the local Bible college, uh, that there were a group of people planning just to kind of put me over there so they could have their own group in the church. Uh, when I figured out the plot, what was going on, and I'm, I'm telling you, it was one of the most satanic things I've ever experienced in my life. And I won't go into the details, but don't don't think Satan's out there trying to... Uh, you know he's out there trying to kill the church. You know, that's who he is. So, but I wrote, you know, and I got two articles, and I, you know, babed and cursed my, my brethren in, in um, the IFCA. Uh, then, uh, it was time to do my dissertation. And my advisor said to me for my doctoral dissertation... Uh, are you sure you have permission from the guy ahead of the pastoral ministries department to go in and to teach a class? Because that was my initial plan. I was going to go over to the Bible college. I was going to teach a sermon preparation class, and I had secured the permission I needed. But when, you know, these bad guys kind of came behind me and tried to undercut me, then next thing you know, I was persona non grata. Nobody had time to talk to me. No one would fulfill their promises. I was like an isolated man out there and I want to just tell you all something it was the best thing that ever happened to me because we all have to sometimes go through the wilderness sometimes the Lord is going to go I'm enough for you and you just trust me see we don't have to always know the why but we need to know the who and as long as my eyes are at him you know like Job and you understand who he is you don't always get the answers to the why sometimes you do later on but you don't always get them so sure enough uh, through that instead of just teaching a sermon prep class I got to do the dissertation on training laymen to preach and what am I doing today you know we're, we're helping people all around the globe how to do this because God knew I needed the preparation so that was the second time it was sort of like the rug was pulled out from under me a year ago I started the uh, foundation because we just wanted to help people all of us in the foundation all family members none of us make any money uh, everything that comes in goes right into the ministry uh, Where well, I always joke with people, I went into the ministry for the money, uh, you know, so we, we just want to help people. It's all we want to do. Uh, so I had a 10 book deal with this small publisher and COVID came and they had some difficulties. I was, I think, into my third book into the process. And what happened? I got a, an, an email out of the blue one day. We can honor the contract. You know, I have spent thousands of dollars personally going through the legal process of, uh, you know, going through my state <laughs> and all the hoops I needed to jump through there. Then I needed to go through the federal government for the 501c3. I mean, I invested heavily because I knew it's what God wanted me to do. And then this guy just comes to oh, by the way, we can't honor this. Uh, so I got put in contact with Terry Whalen. Uh, Terry had worked with uh, Decision Magazine, Billy Graham's Magazine. Uh, Terry's written, I think, scores of books. Uh, he actually wrote the book, How to Submit a Book Proposal. Uh, Terry is just like the guy, and for some strange reason, he loves my work. So he works for Morgan James. If you go to Morgan James, and you look it up even on Wikipedia, they'll get 5,000 manuscripts in a year. Uh, they only take 150. They took mine. <laughs> they they courted me, and this is hilarious for me, because you know I've never been at that level before. Uh, so, Lord, well, at the end of this year, you know, my book on Ephesians, uh, Paul's letter to Ephesians on fire, will be found in bookstores all around. And I'm going, but what, how did that all happen? Because the rug got pulled out. But, you know, I needed to keep writing because I needed to keep producing and I needed to keep doing. Don't stop serving the Lord. Uh, Hebrews 6.10 says, God is not unjust. Forget your work and your labor of love. That, and that you have served the saints and continue to do so. You've got to lay up those treasures in heaven. So don't let the people that would hurt you and discourage you become who you are focused upon. Uh, rather, figure out what God's doing in your life, what is he trying to teach you, what is the endurance factor that he's building into your life, and take advantage of that. Uh, so, and you know what's really cool my, my second son uh, my, my eldest and my youngest both are at the church my six grandchildren <laughs> soon to be seven are at the church with me which is just a beautiful thing but my second son is a history scholar he works in Kentucky for the historical society he's written a book he's actually turning the world upside down in the history department because he went and he studied manifest destiny You know that we were meant to take over the whole United States and, and he went back and he just looked at original documents I wonder where he learned that from Right? Because that's what dads do, you know, that are in ministry. They, they studied the original languages. And so he wrote his book, and now it's just, made, it's turning from a hardback, and this, you, you might not understand this unless you're in the uh, academic circle, that they actually are taking this hardback, put it in the paperback, because it's, it's selling so well. Uh, he has 10 articles in scholarly publications that people would only dream to get in. And he's, as he's the ripe old age of 35. So I could pick my own editor. So I, I actually have my second-born son uh, doing the editing for my book, which I just want to tell you was just you know, super cool from a dad point of, uh, of view. But these are the kinds of things that God does. So when the world gets turned upside down, you know, so many of my ministerial friends, they're, they're no longer in ministry. I was given a statistic that uh, 19 out of 20 of those that I started seminary with would never finish in the ministry, and most of them are gone. So you got to be able to look at God during these times. You have to figure out what he's doing and it's not a bad thing to get crushed because that means God's ready to use you. That is his plan. Look at all the great people of God before honor goes what? Proverbs says humility. Uh, so God has something to do. Let me give you the seventh and final point here. And this is so very important everyone. Write for God's glory. Write for God's glory. Um, It's too much work to do if you're just doing this for attention. Because, you know, others out there, you know, have something published and, you know, you're feeling... You know, a deficit thinker is somebody who uh, evaluates his or her life by what they do. You all are valuable because you're children of God. You all are priceless. If you're called a child of God, that gives you all the worth you ever need. It won't matter how many degrees you have. It won't matter how many books you write or if you never write a book. You're a child of God. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. Right? You're valuable to God. If not, he would never have, you know, sent his son to die for your sin and my sins. So you're, you're so valuable to him. If he adds some things to your life, take it and do it. But make sure he's the one who's directed. You know, Colossians 3, uh, in verses 23 and 24, And whatever you do, do it hardly as to the Lord and not to men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. So let me take you back to wrap this all up. First article, no pain, no gain. I was studying Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9. And if you recall, Jesus initiates a conversation with his followers. Who do men say that I am? Now catch me everyone. When Jesus or God asks a question, it's not because they don't know the answer. Uh-huh. They ask a question because they're trying to draw us. You know, when, and when God goes, Hey, Adam, where are you? You know, it's not like God can't find Adam, right? He wants, he wants Adam to complete. Uh, same thing, who do men say that I am? Some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, some are prophets. Jesus gets more specific. Well, who do you say I am to his immediate followers? Sue ha Christos. Said emphatically, you are the Christ. Catch it. Catch the word. Christ. Because what's on the apostles' minds at that point? Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? Right? Isn't that the very next chapter, you flip the page. You go to Mark 9, read 30, 34. Jesus hey, what were you guys disputing on the road? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? So they want to bypass the suffering, and they want to go to what? They want to go to the glory. <laughs> they they want to bypass the, and that's so many people. It's like, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. So, let me just walk you through this. Number one, the reason Jesus had asked that question, who do men say that I am, we need to know Jesus through his person and work. That's what this life is all about. You need to know, number one, who Jesus is, and then what he does based upon who he is. You got the order there? That's what this is all about. When Jesus calls his disciples to them, and, and, and the word that's used there when he's electing them is a middle voice verb. He's calling them to himself because he wants to be with them. Everything that you do for God's glory should come from your relationship with him. And if you're where you should be spiritually, you're going to be fruitful. Because to abide in God, he's going to make you fruitful and what he's designed you to be. So may it all come out of your relationship with him. You know, I did my devotion book. It's not because it was the first time I ever read through the Bible. You know, for 45 years, one, two, or three times a year, I read through my Bible. (laughs) Why? Because I have to have this relationship with God. I'm never so busy that I I just can't meet with God. That's my priority. So, number one, know Jesus through his person and work. Number two, Know that suffering precedes glory. Know that suffering precedes glory. You know, it's interesting. Jesus does not engage the disciples about him becoming a Messiah. You know what he starts talking about? I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to read Mark's gospel. Just work through it one time and just see every time that Jesus reminds them and they never get it. They never get it. Even when James and John come to him. And they want to sit on the right and left. Notice the timing word. Then, after Jesus explains what he's going to suffer, they basically go, can we have a blank check? We really want to be important in, in the kingdom. And Jesus, even when Peter takes him aside and says, you're not going to the cross. Get behind me, Satan. Okay. We have to understand that suffering precedes glory. So if you do this right, everybody, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's part of our package. But you should take it in such a way and you need to embrace it. When you are hurting and you are alone and you are isolated, that's probably when God wants to do his greatest work in you because he's purifying you. So when he can use you in a bigger way, your heart's ready. And then finally, know that the cross should not be avoided. Know that the cross should not be avoided. Paul went to Corinth (laughs) And he says, I wanted I wanted to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Guess what he preached? The cross. And then how about the application of that for you and me? It's Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. Paul uses the perfect tense verb there. Uh, the idea, because he's associated with Jesus, I've been crucified in the past with that result continued. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And a life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son, of <coughs> God who loved me, and he gave himself for me. You just need to practice your position, my brethren. (laughs) Right? We have a newness of life because of the resurrection, but we need to make sure that we are if you will, dead to sin and alive to God. But don't avoid the cross. Uh, Don't avoid the cross. Jesus says it this way in Mark 8, 34 uh, and who will follow me? He says, let a man, and it's three commands and let him deny himself that's an heiress, once and for all it's not about you I uh, let him take up his cross, and you're going to suffer if you do this right. And then he uses a present tense verb to keep on following me. So it's not about you. All, right? all glory goes to God. Make sure you you, you keep that focus. Uh, number two, you know, make sure that when you're keeping God as your focus, that you are taking up the cross, whatever that means for you, but on a, most importantly, keep following each and every day. Make sure everything that you do comes from relationship. Uh, I have five minutes left and I know if you're like me you're getting hungry and you're getting tired, but that's all right. Does anybody have a question based on anything here? And I always limit it when I you know I, I teach I always tell my students one thing. You can only ask me a question that I know the answer to. So it keeps it really limited. Now please if you have a question or a comment, go ahead. Let it let it roll. Yes, brother. What do you do when you if your writing is laborious, or, you know, it's one thing to write your pain you have a lot to say, but you ever get in those seasons where you're tired, you burn out, and you don't want to write? Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, it comes on the pain, you know. Exactly. The writer's block. Yeah, yeah, it happens with sermon preparation all the time. My son and I can tell you there's a lot of times we're sitting here, and it's like, okay, I've been looking at this page for an hour now, right? Um, I, I do find it, for me personally, it's easier because I'm working through the New Testament. So I know the passage, I need to study, so I need to get at my studies. I think it's more difficult for creative writers because you're creating. So you're coming up with something new. I'm working from something that's existing. Uh, so I think you just got to make sure you, you know, you're taking care of yourself, you're getting your rest, you're eating well, and uh, you know, just pray for that creativity to come. And, and when it's time, it'll, it'll flow. But I, I appreciate that. I know exactly what you're saying. Uh, yes.
1: Do you have any tips for writers who are trying to approach creative writing from a new perspective? Because there are a lot of creative books out there. Do you have any tips for coming up with new unique ideas?
0: Yeah, um, you know, find what your interests are. How has the Lord gifted you? No, in First Peter 4.10 it says this, each one has received a gift. That's a charisma, a spiritual gift. Use it to, to minister to the brethren. Find out who you are your unique experiences, but also what are your strengths. Uh, I think a lot of times you'll get your action based upon those things. And then find a mentor... That can probably help you. I have had more reading, uh, you know, I, 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 because this is part of the process of writing, uh, there's a lot of rejection that goes with it, and there's a lot of correction. So you really have to, you know, you have to wear, as it says in First Peter 5, you know, we need to be uh, garbed or robed with humility. But that's what I do. I take a look at who you are. I look at your own skill set. I look at your spiritual gifts and see where you're at and what you can do based upon that. Because that's where your strength would lie.
1: Yes, brother. Uh, technical question. Where where do you stand writing as in, with regards to outline? I'm an outliner. I've written three books, and I'm writing my fourth one.
0: Good for you. And
1: I outline extensively to the point where I'm outlining the paragraphs. Okay. And then when it comes time to write, I'm just sitting there with the outline, and just
0: okay. getting
1: everything. Are you and, that way, or are you, are you a you more freeform?
0: Uh, you know, for me, um, my process makes me work through it where I'm, first of all, like it's, it all flows from my sermons, So I'm getting familiar with whatever I'm writing on. And then obviously for me, I'm, I'm interpreting, but it, it comes from the Greek text and what I learned from others. Uh, the relationship often comes because of the time I've spent in the Bible for 45 years. And then the employment points I've learned how to derive right from the text. So for me, because I'm working through this, I generally get past that outline pretty quick. But it probably depends on your content, what you're doing, and you're probably a very detailed and analytical kind of guy, which is a blessing. But you got to somehow figure out how to start filling in, you know, those, those gaps. I'm
1: married to the process. That's the thing for me. It, it, yeah, for me, it's the, the process of getting to the point. I started my career writing for the Associated Press. Well, in radio, in radio journalism. Yeah. So everything had to be 300 words or less. Okay. You had to be able to get it. jumped jump down. To yeah. The before. Right. So we, you know, so I learned that. and Then going from there into books, it was a matter of how can I say this as short as possible.
0: I understand that.
1: You look at Hemingway's first novel and his last novel. Yeah. And they're less than two thirds, two thirds lighter when he wins the Pulitzer for yeah. <laughs> this, you know, yeah. And so I, my my goal was always to make it as short as possible.
0: And I think strength it strengthened it because they told me my publisher Morgan James, you know, when I'm kind of getting with the big boys, if you will, uh, they said shorter is better. Uh, you know, it used to be you could just write uh, and go on and on and on. Now, they do want it abridged a little bit more. So what you do is a great strength for, I think, your books. I think it's going to bode well for you. I'm sure it will. Yeah, your skill sets are probably amazing. Anyone else, quickly? Well, thank you. Let me just go ahead and close this in prayer, uh, if I might. Anybody post a prayer? Okay, now just let me go ahead and pray. Uh, Father, we, we thank you for today. Uh, Lord, you're just good to us uh, in so many ways. And I pray that we'd come to know the goodness of God, that we would draw close to you. And from that relationship, you would show us how to become better servants, whether through writing or in service or in whatever you call us to do. Uh, help us, uh, Lord, just to drive it from the relationship with you because that will give us the greatest amount of productivity. Thank you for the many that were here. Very encouraged by them. Uh, bless them richly, Lord. Make great things come from today's seminar.